Talk Radio 96.7, and we are talking sports in the Ozone. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O, Coach Joe in the Ozone. With us is our annual show that we look forward to with Andy McGaffigan. Andy, say hello to everybody out there. Hello, everybody out there. How you doing? All right, and live and direct from Tallahassee, Florida, Mr. Harrison James Finkbeiner. Harrison, say hello to everybody out there. Hello. All right. That's my grandson. All right. But first, we have with us from Gainesville, Florida, none other than the world-famous Hollywood Bob Redman from 24-7 Sports. Bob, you got a new venture going up there, right? Yep. No longer at 24-7 Sports. I'm uh, Now I'm working with um, the Gator Collective. So I am a full-time uh, writer with them, and uh, we are starting a brand-new venture uh, with the collective, which is the organization that actually raises funds for uh, the athletes at the University of Florida, so I'm I'm doing something like a, a really really a dream job for me. I can't believe I'm in this position. So, did you sign an NIL deal with them? Did you get a? a... I you know I'm, I I want to get a piece of that, but I ain't got a piece of that yet. So. <laughs> you, you didn't you know? get a Maserati <laughs> or a Bugatti or anything. No, no, nothing like that. Nope, nope. Well, I nope. understand and, uh, you've been fighting um, COVID, so we're all six feet back from our microphones and have masks on. Yeah, yeah. I sound like I got two golf balls in my nostrils, so I'm <laughs> I'm having a hard time. But I, I I'm okay. I'm I'm getting through it. Uh, just actually just tested yesterday, so it's one of those things. And now I I can't believe I went that long without it, and then all of a sudden I got it. So. Oh man, well I know you're tougher than any COVID or anything like that. Um, tell us exactly um, about the Gator Collective. What um, What is it and um, what will you be doing for them? Yeah, so um, pretty much the same thing I've been doing everywhere I've been, which is uh, running a message board um, and, and, you know, with fans and the fans uh, uh, interacting, writing stories on the message board uh, for them to read, you know, recruiting stuff. We'll be doing team stuff it will be uh probably more uh more other sports as well um but we also get to interact with the players and the fans get to interact with the players on our board which is something you won't have anywhere else so um that's a thing and i think uh you know given what we're here for which is to raise money for the nil which which actually pays the players now and now that's a competitive part of the college of college sports in general, it's a competitive part. We're, we're, you know, our goal is to raise as much money as we can uh, to for the kids and and for the the, the players at Florida and, and different sports. So, um, you know, our goal is to reach as many people as we can reach, and um, because of that, we feel like our sources are going to be as good or better than anybody else for sure. Well, how can somebody read your information? Well. Go to GatorCollective.com and just follow, follow it. Follow the uh, the directions for fan interest, and then um, you, you know you'll see you'll, you'll you'll see how to do it. Well, we'll look forward to calling on you starting next week, and uh, we'll be able to get some Gator updates from you as we always have, and we'll look forward to it. Thank you so much, Bob. Uh, thank you, Ronnie. Thanks for having me. All right, Hollywood Bob Redman. New job for him, 
and um, he's been a great source of information for us on the show. We're going to go ahead and take a break so we can get to our guest, Andy McGaffigan, and hear some of his great stories that he has to tell us about his career in the major leagues. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF in the O. Hi, this is Burgess Owens, former University of Miami All-American and Super Bowl champion with the Oakland Raiders. You're listening to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Ozone. Oh, yeah. Ozone. Ozone time is on. With Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. And it's your chance to talk to Andy McGaffigan, former Florida Southern College national champion, former Major League Baseball pitcher. And if you want to talk to him, Harrison, what is the phone number they can call and talk to Andy McGaffigan? Call at 682-1430. That is 682-1430. Thank you, Harrison. All right, 682-1430. Andy, we were talking before the show, and you were a junior college transfer at Florida Southern, and yet you're in the Hall of Fame. And I think a lot of it is because of your contributions in that 78 national championship game. And you faced off against a pretty darn good pitcher in the opening game of that series. Yeah, Steve Bedrosian. He was at the University of New Haven, and uh, he and I locked up and I think we got the better of him that day. I have a, I had a very good team behind me, and uh, we, we ultimately ended up winning that whole series. So it was fun. Florida Southern's really a power. I remember at one point in Division Two, they were the only team that had won multiple championships, and you had won something like seven or eight at that point. I think. Right. I think we're at nine now. I, yeah. I may have the run, the number wrong, but yeah, it's been a pretty good. Uh, baseball program its entire career and that was one of the things or his entire uh, lifetime and that's one of the things that drove me and or kind of pulled me attracted me to the program great program we know today would be vita blue's birthday he'd be 73 years old today six-time all-star cy young and al mvp in 1971 he was 24 and 8 with a 1.8 ERA, and he was your teammate at one point he was when i was uh, back with the giants the second time in 1990 uh, Vida was there. He was finishing out his career, and um, he was quite a character, quite a impressive uh, resume. It was quite a wild time to be pitching back then, wasn't it? Uh, it <laughs> it's not like it is today. <laughs> yeah, because it does seem different. You, you know, Andy, uh, t- we got a kind of a behind-the-scenes glimpse of what pitching is like today with the microphones on the pitchers during the All-Star game. I don't know if you got a chance to see any of that uh, the, it turned Alec Manoa, the Toronto pitcher, into a star. He basically basically described how he was going to strike out the side, and then he did. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Babe Ruth calling his shot, right? Yeah. Pointing the right field. Yeah, it was exactly like that. I mean, uh, the uh, what was what's the mentality like on the mound uh, that you recall as a pitcher? I don't know if Manoa was just showing off for the for the ca- for the mics and the cameras or not, but. Uh, well, you, you may be thinking those things in the, in your head, you yeah. know, and so with the mic, I think that was really kind of novel and, and right, really kind of quite interesting, but it could have turned around really ugly <laughs> yeah, for him, right. you know, it was a little braggadocious at times, but, you know, when you go out there, you have to feel like, um, you know, this is your mound, and the reason why the mound is higher than the rest of the field is because this is your throne, you know, and you own that dirt, and so you have to have kind of a little bit of a swagger to you, and if you're going to, you know, it, it, it's, it borderlines being, like I said, braggadocious, but 
it's not bragging if you can back it up, right? Yeah. And so it's <clears throat> it's a, a unique mindset you have to have. You have to have a very short memory because you know you may give up a hit or you may give up a home run, but you've got another guy you got to face unless the manager comes and gets you, uh, comes and grabs you off the mound. You still got to jo- have a job to do, and so you got to you got to have a short memory. Yeah, you, you know, as as hard as the modern pitcher throws, there, it seems like everybody throws over ninety five now. That used to be oh, yeah. that used to be the high end, but it also seems like the goal is to paint the outside corner more so than to jam guys on the inside. Or is that is that that's just me seeing that? Or do you see it differently? I, I think the modern game today is they're they're really. If you come inside, and I pitched inside, I couldn't pitch today because mm-hmm. I pitched inside all the time. I hit guys all the time, but it was almost never on purpose because my ball moved so much. But when you throw inside, that makes guys want to get back a little bit off the plate. And so today, if you throw inside on somebody, they're going to warn you. And so you're basically taking away half of your arsenal uh, from a, you know, in approaching a hitter. And it, I think it's really changed the game. Andy, we were talking about uh, Fenway Park and what an intimidating place it is for a pitcher. Talk about the first time that you went there in the left field wall. Yeah, it was when I was with Kansas City in 90. Um, we go to Boston, and I'd never been to Fenway. And so I, I walk out on the field, and I just it's, – it's like you could reach out and touch left field wall. And so and – and there's not a lot of foul territory either. And so I remember walking out and standing behind the shortstop area – and I remember I turned around, and it was almost as if I could literally reach out and scratch the paint <laughs> off the wall. And then I went all the way out to the left field, which was like 30 steps. Not long, not far. <laughs> and I put my back up against the wall, and I just started laughing. <laughs> and, I, and I looked at another guy that had been in the American League for a while, and he goes, this is crazy. And I was like, this is like a, this is like a rec field or something. It's nuts. <laughs> and then the, the right field down the right field line is even worse, isn't it? Right. And I can't remember. What do they call that? The, the Stanky Corner? Pe- Pesky's Corner. Pesky's Corner, yeah. Pesky's I, Pole. I Eddie Stanky, but that wasn't right. Yeah, that is yeah. right behind first base. It, that, it, <laughs> that thing curves around. It, it's, it's just silly. It's just a silly dimension-type ballpark. Andy, some of the people that you played with, you played for a guy when you came up, Bob Lemon. This guy was a tremendous pitcher in his own right. He'd thrown a no-hitter. He was world champion in 48 with the Cleveland Indians. He led the league in strikeouts in 1950. When you have a guy like that as your manager, do you have more respect for him knowing what he did? Well, when I came up with the Yankees, I had respect for everybody, including the, the janitor that cleaned out the locker room. I was just happy to be there. You know, you walk in that locker room, and it was literally like a Hall of Fame, you know, with everybody. You go from Nettles around to, you know, Bucky Denton and uh, uh, Willie Randolph and Reggie Jackson and Dave Winfield and, you know, on Goose Gossage and Dave Rigetti and, uh, Tommy John and I was just like this is crazy. I can't, I'm pinching myself, right? Am I is this real? But yeah, Bob Lemon was. Yeah, you absolutely have to have um, respect for him and and just appreciate his credentials and you know his resume, his body of work that he did in the big leagues is just pretty impressive. Yeah, he, that '48 Indian team with him and Feller uh, and yeah, Bob Feller and uh, Mike. I can't remember the other guy's name. And Feller actually didn't have that good a World Series in 48 when they won it. But um, Feller, you know, I, he, we actually got him on the show a couple times. And uh, what a great guy. You know, here was a guy that 
served his country when he didn't have to. He enlisted right. in the United States Navy. As I understand the story, is he was driving to Cleveland. He'd come up when he was like 17 years old. He was driving to Cleveland to sign a new contract on December 7th, 1941. And he stopped and called him and said, I'm not coming. He said, I'm going to join the Navy. And when he got in the Navy, they said, well, you know, you're just going to play exhibition baseball. He said, no, I'm not. He said, I want to serve like everybody else. And he served aboard the USS Alabama in both the Pacific and I think they were also at D-Day bombarding the Germans there. So there was a guy that wasn't just a great baseball player but a great American patriot. Right. I saw Bob several times in the minor leagues. He did this kind of a barnstorming thing. He would go around to these different minor league ballparks yeah. and, and throw batting practice or pitch to these guys. And it was, I don't know if he did it for the money or, or I think he probably did it for the money, but, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, he, he had, he had a form, he had a, a platform and good on him to be able to use that. I actually got to bat against him in that <laughs> format here in Lakeland and uh, I hit the ball and uh, they, they had a contest for whoever could hit the ball the furthest. And I got beat out by a Florida Southern guy, Mike Cobb. Oh, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike hit it further than I did. But uh, you had to. You, they gave you this certificate, and it says, while I hit the ball, it said something like, I realize that back in the day it would have been a lot different, which I'm sure it would have been. <laughs> yeah, one of the other neat ex- exhibition games I ever saw, one of the neatest I ever saw was Eddie Fainer. Oh, my gosh. King in his court. Oh, my gosh. Goodness, that was impressive. Oh, he pitched from second base, wouldn't yeah. he? And his son was just as good as him. Really? Oh, yeah, they were f- fabulous. And they only had what, like four players? Three, I think. Three players? They had a, no, four. They had a pitcher, a catcher, and a shortstop, and maybe one outfielder. I think that was right. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, you, you know, Andy, that uh, Major League Baseball is sort of like trying to get back to that era. <laughs> They're they're here in the Florida State League. They're starting to to work with a new rule where you outlaw the shift. Now the shift, I think, helps pitchers. So, I got to throw it to you. Uh, what what are, what are these what are these weird rules they're coming up with? I think it's stupid. I, yeah. I, I think they're over man, they're overcooking it. You know, I think there's nothing wrong with the shift. Have these dumb hitters just learn to hit it the other way? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You've got you've got basically a, a half the infield wide open, and if you can't take advantage of that, shame on you. I mean that's just stupid to me. Oh, it's crazy. I, I I don't like at all the extra inning rule where you start with a runner on I second. I don't either. I mean that's that's like uh, that's like church league softball. Yeah, where you, you know? have to you have to finish in a certain time. Why don't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, I, I don't like some of the things that they're doing. I I'm a little vocal about that, but I got to watch myself sometimes. Well, that's all right. Eric's ready on the button. If you <laughs> I don't, don't want to be the grumpy old guy, right? I don't want to be that guy. Well, back in my day, you know, I don't want to be that guy. No, I'm with you. I don't like all of these gimmicks that they're putting in, and um, I don't really. I'm, I'm like you. If if you're gonna shift, and you've got, if you're a left-handed pull hitter, and they pull all the people over to the right field side. How many bunts down the third base line would it take before they stopped doing that? These guys don't even know how to spell bunt. You're right. You know, that's a lost art. You know, Rod Carew was oh unbelievable. Gosh. He could hit it. He could hit it to all fields, and he could drop it down and leave it on a dime. And so uh, they've just, I don't know, the game changes. It Hopefully it will swing back a little bit, but I don't know. I don't Why don't people want to play small ball anymore? The, it, the hitting, the running. Hey, what, what's, what's the saying? Chicks love the long ball. <laughs> right? you know, nobody wants to come and see a one nothing shutout. They, they don't come to see – they want to see doubles and triples and guys crossing the plate, and they want to see balls 
15 rows back or in the upper deck. That's what draws people, and that's where the game has gone, to, to that, to power. The finesse is, yeah, it's passe. So that sounds like the old Earl Weaver strategy, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so. and we can outslug you. We'll, yeah. we'll outlive you. <laughs> yeah. Andy, you played with a guy named Tim Rock Rains, and uh, he was quite a base stealer. When you faced somebody like that as an opponent, what, would, what were some of the tricks you would use to hold runners on? The thing about holding on a runner is you just have to vary your time or your delivery to the plate. So, you know, you would get it and you would you, you would come set and you would hold it, and then you would go, and the next time you would come set and you'd hold and hold. Because the best thing you can do to keep a hitter or a runner from going is to get him off of his toes and have him get back down on his heels. So if you just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, Finally, they're going to, you know, the hitter is going to call timeout, right? But there's a finesse there because you can't stall and stall and stall because now you're getting your shortstop and your second baseman and your outfielders, they're back on their heels too. So there's a finesse there between holding and throwing over and holding and stepping off and holding and then quick pitching. And so you just have to vary your delivery from pitch to pitch to pitch. Andy, you're a very intelligent guy, and I know that you played a cerebral game not everybody does that. Some guys are there just on physical ability. What what would you say the percentages of guys that play a more cerebral game versus a physical game? Most of the guys are pretty sharp. You know, they've come through the minor leagues. They've had their head kicked in a couple of times. They've given up some ugly games and and they've learned they've learned the trade. You know, and and there's a lot of guys that come up and they're just raw 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 talent and they last for as long as they can, but sometimes if they can't adjust. And a good example of that is a guy named Frank Tanana. When yeah. Frank came up with the Angels, he was a left-handed fireballer wild man. I mean, he was he was nasty to face. He was tough. And then he hurt his shoulder. And he made the transition from going to a pure power pitcher to a finesse pitcher. And But he did it because Frank is a very smart guy. And, he, and he, he just figured out a way to get that done. Tommy John did the same thing. Well, I guess pure intellect and baseball intellect are two different things, not necessarily in the same guy, right? Sometimes. I mean, there's not too many Rhodes Scholars out there in, in, in baseball, but there's a lot of bright guys. You know, they've, they've figured it out, and they figured it out what they have to do to succeed. Because if you don't – and you have to self – a, a correct out there on the, you know, if you're out there and your slider's not working, instead of just pounding it and trying to force it, you just go to something else and and just bag it and, and throw an outside fastball instead of trying to bury a slider in on somebody. You just have to, you just have to make the adjustment. When the opposition is constantly adjusting to you and the scouts are saying, hey, McGaffigan, his slider's not working as well as it did before. Maybe he's throwing this more. And Do you pick up on that? When you see what hitters are doing to you, well, each time you face as a really, as a as a starter, you know you're going to see you're going to see the hitter two to three times. Um, as a reliever, I might only see these guys once a series, and so they're going to make adjustments based on their past history with me, and I'm going to do the same. But we also have these these uh, pitcher catcher meetings every game that we go over the lineup. You know, when a new team's coming in. We'll go over the entire lineup, and we've had uh, super scouts that have been out there uh, watching, advanced scouts watching and following them, like the series before and the series before that, 
and they have spray charts and they pick up trends and stuff. And so there's a lot of information to be ga- gathered out there and to utilize. Wow. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk 96.7 WLKF. Talk Radio 96.7. We are in the Ozone this hour with Ronnie O and Coach Joe talking sports. The Ozone is brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone with our special guest, Andy McGaffigan. Harrison, you had a question for Mr. McGaffigan. Mr. McGaffigan, how many teams have you played for? I played for actually five teams, but actually it was seven because I played for two of those teams twice. So I actually played for seven different teams. Wow. I couldn't keep a job. (laughs) (laughs) Andy, the 84 Expos that you played with, there were a lot of stars on that team. We mentioned Tim Raines. Andre, Andre Dawson was on that team. Gary Carter, Terry Francona, Steve Rogers, and a guy named Pete Rose. What was Pete Rose like as a teammate? He was a hitting machine. He was uh, all 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 work. All he just he he just loved the game, and uh, you know he was hurt his arm. He, he couldn't throw very well, but they had him in left field, and it was really in kind of a not a great position for him at that time. But man, the the guy could just flat out hit. What about Carter? What did Carter add as a catcher? Gary was such a good receiver on top of just being just a stellar guy. He was just a great guy. He had probably the best working knowledge of hitters in the National League of anybody I've ever been around. I'd always sit down with Gary, and we'd go through the lineup, and he'd tell me just things that nobody else knew or even thought to think about uh, when it came to you know, hitters' trends or tendencies and Kind of his weaknesses, et cetera. He was. I always. I had a whole. I, I ran across it not long ago. My my old hitter's notebook, and uh, most of that stuff was from Gary Carter. Wow. When you're out on the mound like that with a catcher like Gary Carter, uh, and it's time to decide what to pitch, or is he telling you what to throw? Are you telling him what what you're going to throw? Is it different with different catchers? Well, that's a good debate. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with if you're a young kid. And you're facing, and you and you've got Gary Carter or a guy like Johnny Bench as your catcher. You go, yes, sir. And that's what I'm going to throw. <laughs> Not ahead. Yeah. In fact, I was, I was just. So it's, it's a more or less, it's a, it's a suggestion, uh, but it's a, an informed decision, truly, on on the catcher's part to even recommend the pitch to throw. And if you're smart and you're learning the game, you, you tend to rely a lot on your catcher. Now, if your catcher is a blockhead. And he doesn't really, and I've thrown to a few of those guys, and they're just, they're just hard to deal with. And you're always shaking them off, and you're shaking them off, and you're shaking them off. But ultimately, it's your decision. I'll, I'll tell you a short story. And this is a true story, and I just looked it up today. Um, Johnny Bench, obviously an amazing catcher. He, kinda, he, was, he was a prototypical catcher of the generation and still is in my estimation. Uh, a pitcher, and I think the pitcher's name was Gary Nolan. And at the time, he was—he didn't have much of a fastball at the time, and and so Johnny kept calling for a curveball, and Gary kept shaking him, off, shaking him off, and shaking him off, and shaking him off. So finally, Johnny went out to the mound and said, "I think you want to throw the curveball here. Don't throw the fastball." He says, "No, I want to throw the fastball." So he says, "All right." So he goes back behind the plate and he tells the hitter, he "says Don't swing. It's going to be a fastball." And and so Gary throws the ball, and and. Johnny puts his glove down and he catches it barehanded. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
So, <laughs> you know, that was that was kind of an embarrassing <laughs> moment that pitcher's life. But, you know, when when you have a great catcher like that, um, you just you don't shake him off. I had the good fortune of having a guy named Mike Fitzgerald as my catcher with Montreal most of the time. And I maybe in the, in the four years I threw to Mike, I maybe shook him off less than a handful of times. I know it wasn't more than five times. He he just he could really think well with you, and you just you just melded. You just kind of had a brain meld, and it's so it was ironic. You're thinking one pitch, he's calling that pitch, and when you get into that type of rhythm, it just happens just like that. It's so much fun. <laughs> Back in the early '90s, you were teammates with a guy named Bo Jackson, a guy named George Brett, and Brett Saberhagen, and you had a guy on, on the staff at the end of his career, Mel Stottlemyre. You got any Bo Jackson stories? Oh, that guy was the most amazing guy. When uh, it's, not, it's not a baseball story; it's a life story. Um, after the game, the locker room would be open, and the kids would, like Harrison. Would would be able to come into the into the the locker room and they, you know, first thing they would do is they would run over to the table that had all the bubble gum and you know, all the candy and stuff. And in order, in the first day that my son was there, my son Drew, he ran. You know, he followed all the kids and he ran right by the, uh, right to the table. But he, in order to get to that table, you had to go right by Bo Jackson's locker. You know, Bo's a pretty imposing individual, yeah. right? And and as Drew was about. From me to Harrison, he goes, hey, boy. And, and, and Drew just froze, and he starts crying, and he, run, and he runs over to me in, the, in my locker, which was right across the locker room. And Bo felt so embarrassed and so sad. He, he, he knew he hurt his feelings, right? He scared him. And so Bo went over to the, to the bubble gum, and there was a big five-gallon bucket full of bazooka bubble gum. He picked up the whole bucket and took it over and gave it to Drew. Oh. Yeah, and so he he really made a buddy there. And and then from then on, every time Drew would come in, he'd kind of come up to the locker and walk around <laughs> him and look at him and smile and and then set. But Bo was a wonderful, unbelievable athlete, great talent, the most gifted athlete, just not baseball player, but athlete. Um, and I almost ran off the road the day that the 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 Royals released Bo. I was driving the spring training, and I was going over to Haines City to boardwalk and baseball, and I'm going down the back way, and literally I'm listening to the radio, and it says, well, today the Royals released Bo Jackson. I went, almost had an accident. It was uh, very, very disappointing. But, you know, what a guy, great athlete. And I heard George Brett say one time, he said, I'll never miss a Bo Jackson at bat because you never know what he'll do. He might hit one into the, into the, the fountains, which is like – 500 feet away, or he might break a bat over his head. Over his head, you just you just never knew. And and then the other thing, another Bo Jackson story. I remember it was when I had just joined the team. I was I was we were in San, in um, in Seattle, and after the game, I, I got on the bus and I was just kind of waiting. And it was kind of under the stands, and there were crowds of fans. And I remember seeing somebody looking right past George Brett to get an eye on Bo Jackson, and I went. <laughs> wow, guys, just overlooking Hall of Famer, no doubt Hall of Famer, first ballot Hall of Famer, to see what Bo Jackson looks like. <laughs> oh man, there was another good athlete around that time too, with Ken Griffey Jr. Yep. Uh, he was uh, 
there was a couple. They, they were amazing in the outfield. That must feel good when you're pitching. <laughs> it's nice to have those greyhounds out there that can go run down your mistakes. And uh, I was telling Ron earlier that I was in. We were in the Kingdom the night that Ken Griffey Jr. and Senior played their very first game together in 1990. I was there. I was wow. with the Royals that that day. Pretty fun. Oh yeah, I still remember when he and his dad hit homers back to back. I happened to be watching that night. It happened to be on. It was I'm pretty sure it wasn't against me. I would have, rem- I would have remembered <laughs> No, it was that. not against you. I would have brought it up. It yeah, against, yeah. yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. <laughs> no, it was definitely some other pitcher. <laughs> Don't even remember who it was. Certainly not somebody as distinguished as you. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of distinguished pitchers, I, I, I'd like to ask about a couple of modern guys. Uh, I've got to ask you about Shohei Watani. Um, he, he's uh, such a great pitcher and hitter. Now, they don't let pitchers hit anymore. He's, he's a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a unicorn. Is there anybody he can compare to? I mean, Babe Ruth, but, <laughs> but other than that. That's, that's a, well, you know, there are a couple of good hitting hitting pitchers back in the day, you know. but Wes Farrell. Wes Farrell. Um, most, Don Drysdale. A lot of those guys were pretty good hitters, but this guy is just like a cleanup hitter. Yeah. Steals he's, bases. He's, he's just ridiculous. He's just a, he reminds me a lot of me. <laughs> in my dreams when I'm dreaming <laughs> now he's just an incredible player and I guess there's there's talk of him going to New York and of course there's everybody talks about going to New York right but uh, oh my goodness he he's a he's a you know triple threat right wow so, yeah he, he can do it all the other one I want to ask you about is a Marlins pitcher Sandy Alcantara if you had a chance to he's, get, really he's got see- like a 1.8 ERA this year it's pretty amazing yeah it, it's when you're in the groove like that it's it, the game is so easy you don't it, it, you don't even think about it you know so it's just amazing so good on him all right well, we're going to go ahead and take a break when we come back we might just have that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House for you i know you're hungry i know you're thirsty your dialing fingers are itching you're listening to Ronnie O and coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF this is Danny Walker Lake Gibson head wrestling coach who broke Brandon's 41 41- Year dominance in wrestling. You are listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone with our special guest, Andy McGaffigan. I know you're sitting out there, you're waiting, you're hungry, you're thirsty. We are curing hunger one person at a time here in the Ozone. Harrison, you got a sports quiz for us? Yes. Go ahead and what you got. If you haven't won in the last six months and you know the answer, give us a call at 682-1430. That is 682-1430. For a $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House, what city was Babe Ruth born in? A, New York. B, Boston. C, Baltimore. There you go. That's about as easy as it gets. Give us that phone number again, Harrison. Call 863. Yeah. Go ahead. 682-1430. That is 682-1430. All right. There you go. If you're hungry and thirsty, give us a call if you haven't won in the last six months. We've got Andy McGaffigan here with us in studio, and um, you can call in. Oh, we got somebody hungry and thirsty already, Harrison. Man, I tell you what. They're all over that question. That didn't take long at all, but we'll see if they know the answer. So uh, we'll go ahead and we'll take this call and see if they know the answer, and then we can get back to Andy. 
Um, who we got, Tungren? Cal, how are you tonight? Is this Cal Ripken Jr.? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Cal, what city was Babe Ruth born in? Uh, Baltimore. That's exactly right. Baltimore is correct. Um, you ever been there? You ever been to Camden Yards? I have indeed, yes. Yeah, it's, his dad's bar, or where it was, is over the right field wall, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Along with Boog's Barbecue, who was a Lakeland guy, and uh, Boog Powell played on that championship Orioles team back in 71, I think it was. It um, had those great pitchers. Pat Dobson was one of those pitchers in 1971 when they had the 420 game winners. Well, congratulations. We appreciate you listening. And if you'll hang on the line, Eric will get your information and we'll send you out the alehouse and you can eat $30 worth on us. How about that? That sounds great. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Cal. All right. Well, off, off the air, Coach Joe was asking a question of Andy. Well, yeah, Andy, we were talking about um, hot streaks, and uh, and we, you started to tell us about a time that uh, you were going through a cold streak uh, in 1990. Right, and and it was uh, I was struggling because I I, I had a fairly simplistic uh, delivery, and so it was easy to kind of self-correct, except for this one period of time. I just I couldn't figure it out. I was doing something wrong. And so we were going into the San Diego, and Pat Dobson was my pitching coach uh, years ago when I was in the minor leagues, and we had a great relationship, and he really, I really clicked well with him. And I called him up when I got to the locker room, and I, I asked him, I said, listen, if I happen to get in the game tonight, you know, take a look at me, and I'm going to look at you and tell me what you see, because perspective is everything, right? And I really trusted him, and I trusted his perspective, and so, sure enough, I was out there, and I was taking my warm-up pitches. And after about my third, second or third warm-up pitch, I just glanced over in the dugout to, to him. And he looked at me, and he gave me this universal sign that says, stay back, in other words, stay back over my backside or my right leg, just a hair. And I always thought that I was. But he said, you know, he just said, stay back a little bit. And so, evidently, I wasn't. And so, I, that those next two or three pitches I had during my warm-up period, uh, I was able to exaggerate my my paws over my backside and that that was it and it's just a little thing like that but from a person that has a a a perspective that you don't have you know you can't see everything right and so with him he just picked it up immediately and it was just it was one of those moments so was that throwing off your control or your velocity it was it was my slider my velocity my location and the break on my breaking ball it affected everything because my body was out in front of my arm, and so everything was flat. Instead of breaking down with a, a with a sinker or down and away with a slider, it was breaking more flat, which was a lot more hittable. So I, that's why I was hooking the ball in the driving range yeah. a little while ago. That's right. That's right. Getting, that's right. getting out in front. Andy, of when you when you played with Mel Stottlemyre, um, he was at the end of his career. Did did you realize he would be a pitching coach? Was he that kind of guy? Well. Certainly came from good good genetics, right? Yeah. His dad was a pretty good pitching coach too. Um, I, I played with Mel Stottlemyre Jr. Oh, okay, I've... yeah, and he was quite a good pitcher himself. And his his brother was an excellent pitcher as well, who pitched in the Blue Jays. But I played with Mel Jr. in the Royals minor league system, okay, and a little bit in the big leagues with Kansas City. And uh, but you know you have these guys that 
they've passed this knowledge on from generation to generation to generation. And it's, um, it's funny in church, we, we just went through a series about discipleship and mentoring. And I used a lot of the, and I, my wife and I taught this class the last three nights, three weeks at, at church. And I used a lot of the examples I had of good coaching, like Pat Dobson, of mentoring and pouring into people uh, not necessarily for what they can get out of it, but because it's the right thing to do and it's good for you. And But as a student, as a mentee, you have to be willing to accept criticism, accept correction, and realize that I might be wrong and there might be a better way. And so it takes a lot of humility to be in that position too. No doubt. Andy, um, you've had a career after baseball. What are you doing now? I'm a brain surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm a, I'm a financial advisor with Northwestern Mutual here in town, and I'm in my 22nd year, and um, I love what I do. I get to help a lot of great families and business owners, and uh, every day is a new day. So it's a, good, it's a good profession. That's awesome, and I know it probably doesn't hurt having your background with Florida Southern. I'm sure you made a lot of great connections when you were here in Lakeland. Lakeland's a great town to, to live in, to work in, and uh, to retire in. Maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Andy, the past few days, uh, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony in baseball included a lot of veterans, uh, not a, a whole lot of modern players. David Ortiz got in, but uh, Jim Cott uh, and Tony Oliva among the uh, the veterans to get in. Jim Cott was uh, – I played with Jim Cott when I was with New York. Uh, great guy, unbelievable worker, but a great work ethic. He, you know, he would ride the bicycle. He never ran. He always got on a bicycle, and so pitching coaches would holler at him about, well, you're going to get on that stupid bicycle. The guy pitched for, what, 38 years or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He must have done something right. But I, I really appreciate what he said, I think, in his speech. I believe he mentioned that he never thought of himself as the best pitcher on the team. You know, So he, he was a great competitor, very successful, obviously. But he also had a – he didn't – he let his – his stats do the talking. He didn't, you know, he wasn't a bloviator, and he was just a great guy. And he was a gold glove pitcher. Talk about what makes a great fielding pitcher. you got to have cat-like reflexes, and you have to land, you know, after you've pitched a, a ball, thrown a ball, you're now the closest infielder to the hitter. And so you have to be, uh, you got to get your body in position to, expect or to retrieve a ball if it's come back at you i remember one night and we were in shea stadium and i guess today is the anniversary of dale uh, dale strawberry's 300th home run well one night in shea stadium i threw an inside and up fastball and he got on top of it and he hit it right back at me and he hit it so hard that after i threw the ball the all i could do was barely get out of the way and i it went right by my nose oh and i i heard it i saw it and i felt the wind <laughs> and it just went <laughs> right by me that was a moment so oh my goodness yeah yeah that, that was a he was a big guy wasn't he like 66 six or something six, like six, that 66 but he was he was wiry strong i mean just a incredible athlete incredible athlete just like almost all big leaguers big leaguers are they're just they're just they're just great athletes, good ball players. Wow! The, the training methods back then and, and today, how how much how different do you think they are? They're different. They're more scientific driven. It seems to me, um, guys. You know, you go in a locker room today, and it's like going inside a a health club. 
It's just, it's amazing. The guys are bigger, stronger, faster, but as a result, they're getting injured in a lot of different ways that we never did. You know, there are, and this is, this is being projected down into the minor leagues and, and college and high school. You're seeing kids that are having Tommy John surgery at 14. You know, <laughs> it's nuts. It's, it's crazy. Gosh, you know, I can't believe the hour's gone by already. Ronnie. I know it's it always way too does. Fast. We gotta, <laughs> I know it always we does. We need to get more <laughs> hours when we have Andy on. Andy, thank you so much for coming, and we appreciate it. We look forward to this every year, and um, I can't thank you enough for coming in and sharing your expertise and some of your stories with us. Thanks, Ron. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Andy, and thank you, Harrison. Harrison, Harrison way to go, buddy. Job. Way to go. Thank you. All right, and the legendary Clarkster, always making the magic happen. We'll be back next week. We'll have another great guest for you, and we'll try and do as well as we did this week next week.